There's a little green button, but I can't, couldn't see it. So God in his providence worked that out, so I'd relax a little bit. Christian commitment, living out the gospel, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And there's going to be four main parts to today's sermon. We're going to learn about the commitment. We're going to learn about the basis of our commitment, the expression of our commitment, the growth of our commitment, and the blessing of our commitment, the basis, expression, growth, and blessing of our commitment. Let's begin by reading Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's briefly pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity for gathered worship. We thank you for your word, and I pray that your word will go out today and it will save sinners and that it will edify the saints. Help me to preach the gospel this morning and help me to worship you as I'm preaching the Bible. And I pray everybody out there will listen very carefully and will worship you by being attentive listeners with the goal of giving their lives completely to you in total consecration. In Jesus' name, amen. What is the basis of our commitment? What is the reason or grounds for our commitment? Why should, why should Christians present their bodies as a sacrifice to God? The first part of Romans chapter 12, 1 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Mercies refer to all of God's blessings that have been graciously bestowed upon his people. These mercies are the blessings, the blessings that we have received because of God's love and compassion for us. The first reason for the basis of our commitment is the mercies of God as revealed in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Again, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. This, therefore, is like a hinge on a door. Let's open this door. Imagine you are students entering the classroom. And the name of this class is the theology of the gospel. The theme of this class can be summed up in four revolutionary words. Righteousness from God alone. The theology professor is the Apostle Paul. He briefly reviews, reviews what you've been studying, and then he gives you a homework assignment when you leave class. This is a lifelong homework assignment to apply today's lesson on Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. First, P Professor Paul reviews the righteousness of God that is revealed in his condemnation of unbelieving sinners. Yes, it is actually compassionate of God to show lost sinners that they are under the condemnation of God. Before you become a Christian, you are unrighteous. You are under God's crushing condemnation. You are under God's righteous anger or wrath. You are a rebel, a traitor, an enemy of God. You have earned this because the wages of sin is death. You have fallen short of the glory of God's standard of perfect holiness. The righteous God of all creation hates unrighteousness. The law of God educates you about the knowledge of your sin. The law of God is briefly outlined in the Ten Commandments. Thunders from heaven, you are crooked and corrupt. The soul that sins, it shall die. But the law can't straighten you out. 
trying to be a good person by obeying the law won't save anybody because God's standard is 100% obedience. In a word, perfection. God, the just judge of the universe, he slams down his gavel and says, you are guilty. You deserve death in a real place of teeth gnashing pain called hell forever. This is the bad news. You are doomed and desperate for help. And God is merciful to you by showing you your true spiritual condition. The Holy Spirit causes godly sorrow for your sin. The Holy Spirit causes you to cry out for God's mercy, to save you from sin's penalty and power. You are a lost sinner and you need a Savior. Next, Paul, Professor Paul, reviews the righteousness of God revealed in his justification of believing sinners. God displays incredible mercy with the good news of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God into salvation to all who believe. Have you believed? The gospel is the good news of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. How? By repentance and faith in Jesus Christ alone. By God's grace, you trust in Jesus alone as your Savior from sin. Your repentance here is what? It's from turning, it's turning from the sin of trusting in your so-called good works to save you. Furthermore, by God's grace, you commit, you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Over your life, you bow your knee to King Jesus. Your repentance here is turning from the sin of you being the Lord of your life, the King of your life, you being in charge. What you do is you believe, you put your trust in, you exercise faith in what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forever forgiveness of all your sins. In short, you repent and believe. You repent and believe in Jesus Christ, God the Son, as your Lord and Savior. By God's grace, with a regenerated heart, you express trusting commitment in Jesus Christ as your Savior forever. When you believe in Jesus, God the Father justifies you. He declares you positionally righteous. He declares you not guilty, not condemned for your sin. He declares you not guilty because Jesus paid the penalty for the guilt of your sins on the cross. God also credits or imputes to you the perfect righteousness of Jesus' perfect life of obedience. This is justification. God treats you as if you perfectly obey the Ten Commandments. This is God's mercy. God can show this marvelous mercy to the believing sinner because God's justice was satisfied for that sinner with the payment of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Professor Paul next reviews the doctrine of sanctification. We see God's righteousness in this also. He teaches us about progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is when God enables you to actually grow in practical holiness. You are, you are becoming more like Jesus, practically. This is growing spiritually. And as you know, this is a tough daily battle. But the spiritual struggle is only temporary. When you see Jesus face to face, you will be glorified, glorified. In heaven, you don't have a sin nature to harass you any longer. God is so merciful to guarantee that all who have been justified will be glorified. Knowing this future mercy, Future mercy. Did you catch that? Future mercy. Knowing this motivates us now in our lifelong commitment to live out the gospel that saved us. Professor Paul continues to review the marvelous mercies of God. He explains the electing mercies, the electing mercies 
of God. God chose us to be saved. God's sovereign mercy in electing us to salvation motivates us to pursue holiness. Motivates us to pursue sanctification. Motivates us to develop convictions about what? About the main point of today's sermon, developing Christian commitment. God's choosing us to be Christians motivates our Christian commitment. Professor Paul continues, in the last few chapters before we get to chapter 12, we see the righteousness of God displayed in his faithfulness to Israel. God will literally keep all his promises to Israel. God will show monumental mercy on the elect Jewish remnant by causing them to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. As Christians, our hearts are stirred up they're enraptured. They're set aflame with gratitude for the mercies that God has showered upon us. We are motivated by God's mercies. We are motivated, motivated by God's love for us. The te this teaching does this. It trains our thoughtful living. The doctrine demands our devotion. The principles are prayerfully to be put into practice. The doctrinal roots of chapters 1 through 11 will bear fruit in chapters 12 through 16. Now we have a better idea about why the Apostle Paul is so fired up about encouraging the brethren. Paul is exhorting the brethren, that is, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family of our triune God. Paul writes, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. What does beseech mean? Beseech means to urge, to appeal, to exhort, to encourage. Beseech means to plead. Reverently speaking, to beseech means to beg. Paul is very serious. He is not making a suggestion. The word therefore in our scripture refers to the entire previous 11 chapters of Romans. The second reason for the basis of our commitment is seen by the immediate context of this word therefore. We are committed, we are dedicated for God's glory. God's glory. The last part of the previous verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Notice this is part of a doxology in your Bible from verses 33 to 36. This doxology is a declaration of praise to God for the theology of the gospel. This is a glorious gospel because of God's sovereign mercy over all creation, over all things. We praise Him, we honor Him, we adore Him, we worship Him, we are committed to Him. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7, that we have been created for God's glory. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you are vessels of mercy, vessels of mercy. God is making known the riches of his glory by his sovereign mercy in choosing you to be saved. Romans chapter 9, verse 23, that's Romans 9, 23, states this, in that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Remember what we learned from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, in Ephesians 1, 6, that our election is to the praise of the glory of grace. In part of Romans chapter 15, verse 9, Romans chapter 15, verse 9 says this, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Let's rejoice and praise God. Together, let's glorify God for his mercy toward us. Let's glorify God. And enjoy him now with our Christian commitment to live out the gospel. A third reason for the basis of our commitment is that our bodies belong to God. Our bodies belong to God. 
because of the mercies of God. Because of the mercies of God, we present our bodies to God. Think about this. When you are tempted to live selfishly, when you are tempted to disobey God, renew your mind, renew your mind with this truth, this knowledge, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And the King James puts it this way. And the first word here can actually, actually be very helpful when you're preaching to yourself. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which ye have a God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Brethren, don't backslide like these Corinthians by forgetting theology, by acting like you don't know this amazing truth. Since we do know this gospel truth, let's live out this gospel that saved our souls. Here's a gospel question, so to speak. What price were you bought or redeemed with? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, and 1 Peter 1, 19 has the answer. The precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. May we never, never, never forget. God owns us. We are the divine property of a holy God. A fourth reason for the basis of our commitment is found at the end of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It is our reasonable service. It is our reasonable service. The idea here is true worship. True worship. This is apparent by other translations. The NASB, which I believe is on the back of your bulletin, translates reasonable service as spiritual service of worship. Spiritual service of worship. Reasonable means logical, rational, intelligent. What could be more reasonable? What could be more logical? What could be more rational? What could be more intelligent than for Christians to serve or worship their creator? My new King James reads, reads this way, reasonable service. And the Greek word for service is always translated in a spiritual sense in the New Testament. Accordingly, this word is translated as worship here in many Bibles. Here's an application. Our commitment, our living out the gospel, our devotion, our dedication, our submission to God is a lifelong 24-7 every day Moment-by-moment moment, worship service. We have covered four reasons for the basis of our Christian commitment. God's mercies. Two, for God's glory. Three, it is reasonable. And four, our bodies belong to God. Now I want to explain the expression of our commitment. The expression of our commitment. And that is the presentation of our bodies as a sacrifice. Romans 12.1 describes this sacrifice in three ways. It's living, it's holy, and it's acceptable. We express our commitment by presenting or offering our bodies as a sacrifice to God. Our bodies connect us with our, with our environment. We express our relationship with Jesus through our bodies. That's how we connect with the world. The term bodies here refers to more than just our physical bodies. Bodies here include your soul or spirit, your mind, your will, your emotions, and your heart. Dear Christian, God commands that you give your entire self to him. Look at the term sacrifice. The term sacrifice reminds us of the sacrifices of the animals in the Old Testament. 
the Jewish people were instructed by God to bring their best animals to be sacrificed. The animals would be killed and the priests would bind them to the horns of the altar. And the burning of these animals was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. These animals and the bloodshed pointed toward the ultimate sacrifice of our Savior on Calvary's cross. As the Lamb of God, Jesus, was sacrificed once, that means one time, 2,000 years ago, to make forgiveness of sins available to all and certain for those chosen to believe. We must die daily. We must die daily to our selfishness in the ways of this world. This is an expression of our Christian commitment. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, Romans 12.1 says. Notice the word present or offer in your Bible. This verb is an imperative, which means it's a command. We are commanded to present ourselves as a sacrifice. And sacrifice in, in our context implies death. Wait a minute. This is called a living sacrifice. Our sacrifice is living because we have been made spiritually alive by the mercy of God. And because we are spiritually alive, we are able to die daily as a living sacrifice to God. Because we're spiritually alive, we can worship God and offer Him our commitment. Here's how John MacArthur explains it. Quote, the living sacrifice we are to offer to the Lord who died for us is the willingness to surrender to him all our hopes, plans, and everything that is precious to us. All that is humanly important to us. All that we find fulfilling. Like Paul, we should, in, in that sense, quote, die daily, 1 Corinthians 15, 31, because for us to live is Christ, Philippians 1, 21, unquote. As we have been learning in Ephesians, because Christians are united with Christ, because we are united with Christ, we have resurrection power. We have resurrection power to follow Christ. We have the power of the gospel in us to live out the gospel in everyday life. Part of Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to both will and to do for his good pleasure. Salvation here refers to sanctification. This salvation is the deliverance from the power of sin on a daily basis. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for me. God empowers us to will or to choose to present our bodies as a sacrifice. We ought to thank God for that. God empowers us to do what he commands us to do. We are responsibly dependent. Think about that term. We are responsibly dependent on God's power to live out the gospel. In part of Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Philippians 1, 27 says, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The expression of our Christian commitment is, is through the presentation of our bodies. Let's give some examples, which reminds me of the song, we, the third uh, song we sang. We present our bodies. For example, our eyes. Our eyes are a part of our body. And the Bible says in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Another translation puts it this way. I refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Men of God, remember what Job said in Job chapter 31, verse 1. 
I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. What about another part of your body? Your mouth. We're going to learn more about this soon in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. In Ephesians 4, 29, the Bible says this, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. By the power of God, put off bad speech and put on good speech. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 5, 5 verse 4 says, Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Live out the gospel by putting off, by putting off trash talk and putting on thankful talk. Our sacrifice in Romans 12.1 is not only living, but it is also described as holy. God commands us to offer him a holy sacrifice. Holy means set apart for God's service. Holy means we are to separate ourselves from sin and be separated to and for our Savior. Holy means we are to require, we are to give God a holy sacrifice that's pleasing to him. Think about this. Why does God require a holy sacrifice? Why does God require a holy sacrifice? The answer is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. 1 Peter 1, 16 says this. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. A holy God requires a holy sacrifice. God required the Jews in the Old Testament to offer their best animals to sacrifice. Likewise, God requires us to give him our very best, our very best. God wants all of you. Our sacrifice is to be living holy, and thirdly, it's to be acceptable. Our, acceptable, our sacrifice is to be acceptable. What does acceptable mean? Well-pleasing, as noted in some translations. Only Christians can offer themselves as an acceptable sacrifice. Nobody else has access to God. Access to God is necessary to offer an acceptable sacrifice to God. We need access to God to actually worship God. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that Christians are, quote, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 states this. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope with the glory of God. Here's a, bi a biblical example of an acceptable sacrifice to God. The Philippians in chapter 4. The Philippians in chapter 4 are described this way. It tells us that they were the only people who actually sent Paul gifts to support his ministry. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, these gifts are called a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And these people who gave, they were the poorest financially. They were the poorest financially, but they were rich spiritually. They also gave money to help the poor Christians in the Jerusalem church. And the question is, how is this possible? How is this possible? They're described in 2 Corinthians 8.5. In 2 Corinthians 8.5, it tells us how this is possible. They first gave themselves to the Lord. 
Their financial stewardship was evidence of their submission to Jesus' lordship. This is Christian commitment. This is living out the gospel. How? By funding the gospel. We look briefly, very briefly, at the basis and expression of our Christian commitment. Now we are ready for Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and let's learn about the growth of our commitment. We're going to learn about the growth. Growth by not being conformed, growth by being transformed, and growth by having your mind renewed, and growth motivated by getting to know God's will better because of your commitment. Let's learn about the growth of our commitment. How can we grow in our allegiance to the King of Kings? How can we do Romans 12.1? 12.2 answers that. The first part of Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Another translation puts it this way. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Did you hear that? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Now, both translations are possible options according to the Greek. Think about the context of this for the Romans. Some of the Christians in Rome may have been compromising with the patterns of ungodliness around them. They are commanded here to put off the patterns of the wicked ways of the world around them. Other Christians in Rome were not compromising. However, they still needed this command to bolster their Christian commitment to live out the gospel. And that's what, I, that's what we're doing right here this morning. This command, do not be conformed to this world in Romans 12 2, is part of the means. It's how we carry out the command of, live, of being a living sacrifice in Romans 12 1. Do not be conformed to this world. The term world here has a different meaning than the term world in John chapter 3, verse 16. World is used in many ways in the Bible, especially the Gospel of John. In John 3 16, think about, for God so loved the world. Now, that term world refers to mankind in general, the various people groups of the world. In contrast, the term world used here in Romans 12, 2, refers to the wicked world system dominated by Satan, the devil. The Bible states clearly in many places, especially in the Gospel of John, that our adversary, the devil, is the ruler of this world, this evil world, this evil, godless age. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not copy the ungodly thinking and behaviors of this world. Women, don't fashion yourselves after the fashions of this world. Don't fashion yourselves after the fashions of this world. Stay committed. Don't compromise. Stay faithful. Let's look at this word conformed. The word conformed used here refers to an anti-godly, superficial, and external change. And here, conformed means to be fashioned after from the outside. And the idea is well captured in the Phillips translation of the Bible, part of the New Testament, which says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. God warns us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James chapter 4, verse 4, thunders. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y. Enmity means hatred. Befriending or cozying up to this world system is hatred and hostility. 
toward God. A person who consistently and without godly sorrow fits right into this world, this evil world, is not a true Christian. Please examine yourselves. Here's a quote that, was, that will help you to examine yourselves. This is a quote from Alman Coney from an article in the American Family Association Journal. Alman Coney writes this, quote, uh, How do we know if we are conforming to the values of this world? One way is to examine our entertainment. Are we entertained by immorality, violence, and profanity? Are we just excusing it away, rationalizing that it's normal because everyone else watches it too? If so, we are learning to conform to this world's values, unquote. The difference between the world's ways and God's ways are radically different, like night and day. Here, here are some sharp, shocking contrasts between the world's philosophy and what God says in his Bible. The world's philosophy says life is about comfort, ease, and pleasure. The world's lies that success is, is gaining power, position, and prestige. The world appeals to our sin natures and says life is about me, myself, and I. The world says live for yourself. But God says deny self. The world says material stuff will make you happy. But God says holiness brings real happiness. The world says truth is relative, subjective, and only applies to certain cultures at certain times. But God says his truth is absolute, objective and universally applies to everybody at all times and in all places. The world says the Bible is full of errors, but God says his word, the 66 books of the Bible, is 100% true. Amen? The world says abortion of over 50 million babies in the United States since 1973 is a woman's right to choose. But God says, thou shalt not kill. God's, God also says to be fruitful and multiply. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Amen? Especially on Mother's Day, considering that. The world says that Jesus is one of the many ways to heaven. But God says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. The world says that salvation is by being a good person or by, be, by Jesus plus your good works. But God says that people are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Dear brethren, do not be conformed to this world. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. 1 Peter 1, 14 says this, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. Before you were saved, you were ignorant and blinded by Satan's darkness. But now, but now you can see with the light of God's word, the Bible. Be renewed with more resolve by remembering this following Bible passage in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4 teaches us that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver or rescue us from this present evil age or world. Do not be conformed to the evil influence that you have been rescued from. We've been saved from that. Don't go back to the pig pen. Worship God right now by paying attention. Listen closely so you can develop stronger convictions about your Christian commitment. Do you realize that you have the strengthening grace of Jesus Christ inside of you 
if you're a believer, you have the strengthening grace of Jesus Christ inside of you to help you say no to being conformed to this world. And I am saying no a lot because that's what this passage is emphasizing. And the whole reason to say no is that we can say yes to being committed. Listen to this in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says this, for by for the grace, pardon me, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's the grace of God that's teach, teaching us. In this context, Jesus is grace incarnate here. You have the power of Christ in you to live out the gospel. That's so motivating. Don't misunderstand something. I am not saying that you are to isolate yourself from the world by saying no to being conformed to the world. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 17, verse 15, and some of you are wondering, where is that in the Bible? This next phrase I'm going to say, you hear people saying it. John 17, 15, according to that, Jesus told us, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. That's where we get that. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. As Christians, we are citizens of another world, so to speak, called heaven in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. However, we are gloriously called to be the salt and light in this dark and decaying world. We are motivated by the saving mercies of God to be ambassadors for Christ, heralding, proclaiming His message of the gospel. To who? To all the nations of the world. In these days, all the nations of the world are coming right to you, to your neighborhood. As we interact with this world at work, on our jobs, in our neighborhoods, what are some additional ways to help us to say no to conforming to this world? The next phrase in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter two, 12, verse 2, pardon me, tells us how. But be transformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how. Say no to being conformed by saying yes to being transformed. Be transformed. We say again, we say no to being conformed by saying yes to being transformed. Transformed means to become more and more like Jesus. Transformation is a lifelong process of progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification. Transformation is an inward change that will be shown outwardly. Progressive means you're making progress. You are growing. This is a magnificent metamorphosis. An example of a metamorphosis is when a common caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly. And some of you, let's call it like it is, some of you may feel like that common caterpillar. However, God is transforming you into a beautiful masterpiece according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Who does this transformation? Who does this transformation? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, does this transformation to you. But guess what? You are responsible to yield to the Holy Spirit, to walk in the Holy Spirit as He uses the Bible to transform you. We are responsibly dependent, responsibly dependent, on the Spirit of God as we read the Word of God to be transformed into the likeness of God. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 tells us, quote, but, we are, but we all, with unveil, unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror 
the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The mirror is referring to the Bible. That's where we see the glory of God. The mirror is referring to the Bible. Glory to glory refers to one level of growth to the next level of growth. We're growing stronger. This is progressive growth. We go from strength to strength. We grow in our Christian commitment as we read the Bible, believe the Bible, and obey the Bible. And the Holy Spirit helps us to understand and obey the Bible he authored. Please notice this. We behold the glory of God in the Word of God. And we're talking about how are we transformed. We behold the glory of God in the Word of God. We behold. That's a beautiful word. We don't quickly glance. We don't quickly glance at the Bible to be changed. We behold. We take a, a long gaze. We look intently and deeply. We take time to contemplate God's Word. We go deeper and deeper into doctrine. We go deeper and deeper into doctrine so that we can go higher and higher in praise and worship. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 instructs us, be transformed. How are we going to be transformed? The text tells us, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must have biblical knowledge to grow. Colossians 3.10 says this in Colossians 3.10. We are renewed in knowledge according to the image of him. What knowledge? This is knowledge of God, knowledge of God's word, knowledge of the gospel. The renewing of the mind is the increase in ability to see things from God's perspective. For example, perhaps there's a movie or something like that. Perhaps there's a movie that you thought was okay to watch a few years ago. Now, after growing in your discernment, you realize that this movie is worldly and ungodly. You make a decisive decision that you will never watch it or anything like it again. By God's strengthening grace, you make a decision with your renewed mind that affects how you will use your body. Your renewed mind gives you resolve. I want you to grow in your resolve today. Your renewed mind gives you resolve to what? To renounce evil and to pursue holiness in the fear of God. Be a sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. Be committed. We, we recently learned this in Ephesians 4.23. In Ephesians 4.23, it tells us, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind refers to the attitude of your thinking. We are to develop a Christ-like attitude by having our minds saturated with Scripture. Saturated with Scripture. And by the way, this is the attitude of humble submission. This is an attitude of humble submission that Jesus, the Son of God, showed to his Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was anticipating the pain of drinking the cup of God's wrath for our sins on the cross. Jesus prayed this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. In Matthew 26, 39. Not as I will, but as you will. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, 5 instructs us. Let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, demonstrates this attitude. Philippians chapter 2, verse 
8 says this. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Our attitude should be humble, submissive, grateful. Yes, it should be one of joyful obedience. Joyful obedience as a living sacrifice. This is our lifelong way of saying thanks for the indescribable gift of Jesus' saving sacrifice on that old rugged cross. We are discuss discussing right now the growth of our Christian commitment by saying no to being con conformed, yes to being transformed. And how are we transformed? We grow stronger by having our minds we renewed. We are growing. We are growing. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. Think about this. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, 1 Peter 1, 23, we were born again by the word of God. Now we need to grow, continue to grow by the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 tells us how we can grow. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. It is impossible for a newborn baby to grow without some type of milk. Likewise, it is impossible for us to grow as Christians without nourishing ourselves, without feeding spiritually on the milk of the Bible. Not, not only that, think about this. As we grow and mature, we must go from the milk to the solid food of the Word of God. Here's a question. How often? How often should we be feasting on the banquet, on the banquet of biblical manna? The answer, how often? Daily. Daily. We need to eat daily to be physically strong. Likewise, we need to feast daily on the milk and meat of God's word to be spiritually strong. The Bible tells us to think about, to meditate on, to contemplate his word daily. This gives us strength and success in doing God's will. For example, God is encouraging Joshua in his new leadership role in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Be a blessed, godly person, but also follow the example of Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, and Psalm 1, 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Be transformed by truth into a mighty oak tree for God's radiant glory. Listen to what happens when you renew your mind with God's word daily. What happens? Psalm chapter 1 verse 3 says this. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Cultivate, dear brethren, cultivate this, this affection Warmly embrace this attitude towards your dear Bible. This is expressed in Psalm 119, verse 97. Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Should we be memorizing Bible passages? All the kids in Iwana ought to be shouting, yes. God shouts, yes. Memorize my word. Again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. 
is a clarion call to committing scripture to your memory. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Moreover, Psalm 119, verse 11, Psalm 119, verse 11, encourages us to memorize. Your word have I hidden or treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Bible memorization, done with the right motive, equips us, trains us. It trains us to do what? To say no to being conformed to this evil world system. And conversely, it, says, it, it motivates us, equips us to say yes to being transformed, yes to being committed, yes to being consecrated, yes to being dedicated, full speed ahead for God's glory. We need to develop a grid system in our minds, a grid system that filters out dirt, a grid system that filters out the false and lets in what is true. This is warfare. This is warfare. One of your weapons, part of the armor of God, is, quote, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, describes the spiritual battle plan for victory in our minds. Casting down arguments, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Taking thoughts captive. Here's how one evangelical writer shows the practicality, the practicality of knowing the Bible for everyday life. Quote, as long as we know scripture, we don't have to be slaves to our emotional reactions when we confront difficult situations or difficult people. We can respond instead as God words, God's word tells us to. But if you don't know the scripture, you'll act just like the world acts. You will simply do what you're always used to doing in the flesh, unquote. In flesh here means your sin nature. Bible memorization gives us the power to say no to the sinful desires arising from within, from our sin natures. Bible memorization renews our minds. It transforms us to grow in our Christian commitment to live out the gospel. Bible memorization motivates us to be overwhelmed with the mercies of God. Let's lay under the word of God and submit to it. Bible memorization develops in us an affection of delight an affection of delight in being a daily sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. Bible memorization, don't forget this, always has the goal of application. Application. And this leads to our heart cry. Our heart cry ought to be this. It ought to agree with Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. Your law is within my heart. This transforming truth transitions us to the next part of Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that or so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This brings us to the blessing of our commitment. The blessing of our commitment is this. 
finding and following God's will. Finding and following God's will. One of the purposes and results of our transformation is proving God's will. And it's important to make a distinction between what I will simply call God's general will and his specific will. Theologians use a lot of fancy terms, and I'm going to keep it real simple here. God's general will and God's specific will. God's general will is the same for everybody at all times and all places. That's what I've been preaching today. Everything I've been preaching is God's general will. For example, here's an example of God's general will. is laid out in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. What about God's specific will? God's specific will is like a subset of God's general will. God's specific will for you is the specific way you apply his general will to every aspect of your life. Do I do this or that? Do I do this now or later? For example, the following verses in Romans that were read this morning, thank you, that were read in Romans this morning, reveal God's general will for you to humbly serve here at Calvary Baptist Church. But where do you serve? But where do you serve? That pertains to God's specific will for you, brother or sister, as you discover and use and enjoy using your spiritual gifts. We are to prove God's will in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The word prove, what does that mean? The word prove means to find and follow. Prove means to discern and do. Prove means to discover and display. To prove carries the idea of testing something to see if it is authentic. This is why the NIV translate the, translates the Greek word for prove as test and approve. Some of you had that before you. Test and approve. Here's a, a, a historical example. A historical example for the physical realm It will be helpful. It was very important for the gold miners in the 1850s in California to be able to prove to be able to differentiate between real gold and fool's gold. Fool's gold glitters, but not everything that glitters is gold. Likewise, we must be able to prove what lines up with the real gold of God's will as expressed in the Bible. Get so familiar with the Bible that when anything conflicts with it, automatically a red flag goes up and we know something's not right. Here's a few more Bible verses that will shed light on this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, Ephesians 5, 10 translates the Greek word for proving as finding out. Finding out in my New King James. Finding out. Ephesians 5, 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. How do we find out what is acceptable? How do we find out what is acceptable? We test it. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Test all things, hold fast what is good. Like the Bereans, we should test teaching, for example, to see if it lines up with the Bible. We learn to discern what is good, and we embrace it. And we learn to discern what is false, and we reject it. Let's finish strong by briefly considering the remaining parts of the last phrase here in Romans 12, 2. 
good and acceptable and perfect. God's will is described as good, acceptable, and perfect. God's will is good by motivating us to grow in our Christian commitment to live out the gospel. God's word is good. It helps us to grow and to glorify him. We realize what is worldly and bad, and we shun it. We renounce it. We cast it off. And we realize what is good and godly, and we cleave to it. We cling to it. We hold on tightly to it. God's will is also acceptable or well-pleasing. Acceptable or well-pleasing. Acceptable to whom? Acceptable to God. Sometimes, let's call it like it is, sometimes God's will does not feel acceptable to us, does it? Our daily sacrifice in saying no to selfishness, saying no to the world's ways, can be agonizing and painful. It's, it's hard. However, as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the word of God, we walk by faith, not our feelings. Don't let feelings drive the train, you'll crash. Feelings should be the caboose that goes in the back. Our aim is what? Our aim is to be well-pleasing to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our aim. And that's what we're doing right here, is motivating ourselves to do that with the truth of God's Word. God's will is also described as perfect. God's will is perfect. It cannot be made better. God's will is the perfect standard we are to faithfully follow. Dear brethren, by faithfully obeying God's general will of Christian commitment, we will be better able to find and follow God's specific will for all areas of our lives. By faithfully obeying God's general will of Christian commitment, we will be better able to find and follow God's specific will for all areas of our lives. That's a very encouraging truth right there. Our dedication to God increases our discernment. We will discover, we will discover by practical, personal experience that God's will is, in fact, acceptable. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. We will be able, by God's grace and mercy, to delight to do God's will, no matter what the consequences. God's will for us is Christian commitment. God's will for us is to live out the gospel in everyday life. Isaac Watts had a majestic view of God's mercy when he wrote, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Have you given God your all? By God's grace and for his glory, give God your all. All. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which sa saves us and sanctifies us. Help us, because of your truth, to be more dedicated to living the Christian life. Help us to be more committed. Help us to live out the gospel. And help us really to pursue, pursue you and to love you with our heart, soul, mind, and strength.
In Jesus' name, amen.